Here he is, back from his holidays, <laughs> His Royal Highness, Gavin Gray. Hello. Good morning, sir. Good morning, SJ. How are you? Missed you terribly. Ah, well, that's very sweet. And so have I. Although I have to say, I didn't miss the grey skies of old London town for a bit of sunshine. Where did you go? Can I ask that? Went to the Caribbean. Oh, Went to the Caribbean stop it. And, uh, yeah. It was lovely. Lovely weather. I've forgotten how blue the skies can be <laughs> and how blue the seas can be, Frankie. <laughs> no, you've got at the right time. There's nothing bleaker than a British weather, weather and British winter. Yeah. And so there we are. Oh, have you got holiday blues or are you all right? No. OK. What I've got is a post-holiday diet because um, <laughs> I, I just, yes, very weak world. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. Oh, well, we're, we're glad to have you. We, we like Kay. We're big, big fans of Kay, but it's good to have you back, Gigi, must say. Oh, thank you. Right then. Um, we're going to start with, um, we were speaking to Katie McDonald about uh, the situation in Palestine earlier. Um, the head of the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees has now urged uh, countries, including the UK, uh, which, of course, halted funding uh, to reconsider what they're calling their shocking decision. I think uh, Finland, Canada, Italy, oh gosh, I can't remember where else, are among the countries that have um, ceased funding um, under while they investigate whether some staff were involved in the um, deadly Hamas attacks on Israel, Gavin. That's right, yes. The UK is among eight countries. We've got Australia, Canada, Finland, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, and the US and the UK, all who have temporarily, at least, stopped funding. And that is because uh, the Israelis have uh, provided what is their strong evidence that actually the staff from this UN agency for Palestinian refugees, the UNRWA, that some staff were actually involved in the 7th of October Hamas attacks on Israel. In other words, uh, they weren't there just for the uh, uh, trying to help the Palestinian refugees. They were actively involved in that terrible day and that terrorist attack. So the agency says, look, it's investigating this. It has already sacked those employees, though. That's interesting. Not suspended, but sacked them. Um, and uh, I'm afraid there is this clamor now, uh, eight countries already and others reconsidering uh, whether to continue giving UNRWA money. Now, according to that refugee agency, they say, look, two million people in the Gaza Strip depend on this for their survival. It's quite wrong. They describe the decision of those eight countries as shocking and they want them to overturn and start delivering aid again. Some of these, of course, the UK and the US among the biggest donors. So this is a big, big thing. Uh, it is going to impact on how those who are refugees in Gaza are treated. But at the same time, if this agency does have any link to those attacks Hamas conducted back at the start of October, uh, then there are huge concerns about just how deep that, uh, uh, that infiltration into its organization could go. Um, we've been following the, the situation um, in in Yemen um, and a tanker now with links apparently to the UK, which was on fire uh, for several hours, right, in the in the Gulf of uh, Aden after being hit by a missile that was fired by uh, the Houthis. So links to the UK? Yes, uh, we now discover that. It's interesting because when people first attacked the ship, we were told that it was registered in the Marshall Islands, I think it was, 
um, uh, under the flag of the Marshall Islands and is operated on behalf of Trafigua, a multinational trading company, without, therefore, any obvious links to the UK. However, we now believe that, yes, there were links to the UK, um, and uh, although this incident, which happened 60 nautical miles southeast of uh, Aden, um, is just a sort of, uh, almost like a, a one of a string of incidents where the Houthi rebels have tried to attack ships with drones predominantly. This one was much more successful and actually caused the ship to catch fire, um, which uh, is a huge concern because obviously it's a tanker. But big concerns as well that if now a lot of shipping has to go around that particular uh, route, it would have to go around the tip of South Africa and then along West Africa and up into Europe. That will massively add to the time taken and, of course, the costs of that transportation. So that's why the U.S. and the U.K. determined to double down on what the Houthis have called American-British aggression. The Americans and British say these are in international waters. These ships should therefore not be attacked and not be fear of being attacked. Uh, but exactly the links, therefore, that this ship had are very, very interesting. And that's what's currently under investigation, that the government here is saying that those attacks on commercial shipping are completely unacceptable and that the Britain reserves the right to respond appropriately. This next story, um, it's being described as possibly one of the largest data breaches in EU history. Um, European governments are claiming that hundreds of thousands of EU citizens have been wrongly fined for driving in London's clean clean air zone. Just explain what that is, first of all, Gavin, if you would. Yes. So when you drive into London now, you automatically have to pay a congestion charge of roughly 280 South African rand a day. Um, and uh, that's uh, uh, going to be uh, in addition to another tax for ULES, the ultra low emission zone for the most polluting cars. So in an attempt to try and clean the air of London, the mayor has said, right, any cars over a certain uh, age and also of uh, certain emissions will uh, have to pay an additional roughly 220 South African rand per day to drive into London. Now, as you can imagine, it's been deeply unpopular with some. Some who live in London say, well, actually, this is what we need because people are getting asthma and the air quality sometimes cannot be good. But a lot of people, of course, drive over from the continent. Belgium, Spain, Germany, France, the Netherlands have all had drivers drive into London from those countries using, of course, the train under the Channel Tunnel. And so uh, those drivers as well, because they're picked up on cameras beside the road, those drivers uh, have also now been fined by the mayor of London for driving in with cars which are not good pollutant, uh, uh, which, are, you know, the emissions are too high on pollutants. But here's the thing, SJ. When you drive into London from abroad, you're supposed to register your car if you're driving into London. And then that way, of course, the authorities can check out the age, how the pollutants are registered, etc. Now, lots of people from Europe simply don't know that. Drive in and then find whether they were uh, allowed or not and needed to pay the fine or not, have been told, right, you've been slapped with this fine. And now the mayor of London is facing class lawsuits from uh, uh, people in France. There's a, a lawsuit going on there, a hundred and something people as part of that lawsuit, saying, well, hang on a minute. 
First of all, my car was compliant. Secondly, nobody told me. I didn't know I had to register with you. And thirdly, actually, how did you get my data? Mm. And of course, the answer is that they have been contacting uh, agencies abroad uh, and uh, some have been giving over that data, whereas actually this is a, a, a local charge, a civic charge, not a sort of legal charge. So it's a civil offence, not a criminal offence. And so the details should never have been shared in the first place. How bizarre. I've often thought about that, though, you know, the fact that you can drive, you know, you might have driven from France. And then how do you how do you pay the 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 congestion charge and all that and all that stuff? Anywho, uh, UK ministers have been accused of throwing away taxpayers money. I love this as if it were confetti um, after uh, figures have revealed that government wasted nearly 10 billion pounds on defective or unusable PPE, personal protective equipment uh, during the COVID pandemic. 10 billion pounds, Gavin. It does seem extraordinary, doesn't it? And, uh, of course, we'll all remember the immediate chaos and uncertainty when the pandemic struck. And there was a massive rush on between this country and lots of other countries, of course, to get PPE, personal protective equipment, for those working on the front line in hospitals, care homes, social settings, etc. Now, the problem was, in that scramble to get this kit, Obviously, a lot of it was not up to scratch. Now, you'd have thought, Estre, that in the early days of these discussions, they would have had a sort of minimum quality standard as part of the contract. Well, it would appear that was not always the way. And so whilst we were busy buying 300 billion South African rands worth of personal protective equipment, things like plastic aprons, gloves, masks, etc., Yes, 10 billion pounds, 220 billion South African rounds worth were unusable Uh, and uh, either unusable or its value now is less than the government paid for it. Now, I don't suspect that that's something unusual because, of course, there was a massive demand for it at the time. Mm -hmm. But there is this apparent stockpile of equipment which will never be used because quite simply it's not up to scratch or it wasn't used before its expiry date. Either day, lots of people are asking questions, as you can imagine, about how so much money was spent so quickly and not really controlled. Yeah, that is extraordinary. Um, next up, British tourists who are heading on their holidays uh, into Europe could uh, face waits of 14 hours or more at border controls. MPs have been told about uh, a new scheme that could come into force in autumn. Uh, so that's uh, October-ish. What is this about? 14 hours? Yes, that's the fear. This came up in a a meeting with the local council responsible for Dover, the big port down in the southeast of England in Kent that connects the UK via ferries and uh, car transporters, as it were, into continental Europe. And uh, the committee was told that at the worst, a reasonable worst case scenario, uh, it could take 14 hours to queue to get over into the continent. Why? Well, because in October... The long-awaited and long-postponed new security measures are being introduced between the European Union and the UK. Now, currently, when we were part of the EU, we just used to flash our passports and drive across and all was well. Mm. Then things got a bit tighter, of course, after Brexit, but they still haven't fully implemented the measures that they were supposed to uh, do in order to 
um, try to prevent terrorists or people who are wanted going from country to country and to make sure that we knew who was in and out of the country. Uh, that, however, is due to be introduced in October, so just nine months away. And apparently the technology isn't ready, the infrastructure is not ready. Uh, and I'm not just talking on the British side, I'm also talking the EU side. And of course, it is French and international um, uh, border staff who man the crossing here in Kent and uh, British staff who man the crossings back in Calais, in northern France. So you have got this incredibly complicated system. It's not going to be ready or up and running, we think. And if it isn't, and they do implement these long-awaited uh, uh, checks and so forth, then every single car will be stopped and every single person within that car will need to get out, have their passport checked, often have to register their fingerprints um, and a pass a photograph alongside the passport as well. So I'm afraid this could significantly add to these checks and significantly add to waiting times. Uh, to Spain now, where police there say that they've busted a gang who carried out uh, dozens of or over 70 thefts from uh, luxury homes um, and businesses, mostly in Marbella. But the gang is made up of former soldiers. Yes, six arrested uh, earlier in the week, alleged uh, the alleged ringleader. Uh, is from Albania. Um, jewelry, cash, watches, weapons, all recovered. Uh, and uh, as you said, 71 thefts from uh, luxury homes and businesses in the south of Spain. Uh, police say the suspects are highly skilled in robberies and break-ins, have knowledge of military techniques, and used strict personal security and counter-surveillance measures while moving around on foot or in vehicles. Uh, often making unexpected stops, suddenly changing direction to try and uh, lose anyone who might be following them, uh, and uh, trained to access any type of property, regardless of the height of that property, the height of the walls around it, the perimeters and so forth. And they really do believe that this former gang of soldiers, uh, predominantly from Eastern Europe, have been coming to the wealthier Western Europe, and Spain in particular, targeting these houses in Malaga, Estepona, and Torremolinos. Um, and uh, in at least four of the robberies, physical violence was used. So they have now um, uh, made these arrests. They are processing them, but they do believe they cracked a major gang here. Unbelievable. Sure. Um, the uh, ancient remains, which have dated back uh, more than 2,000 years, have been recovered by police in Northern Ireland. Ancient human remains. Yes. What? Where? Where? Whereabouts in Northern well, Ireland? <laughs> it's in Peatland right. in County Londonderry. Yeah. Uh, so quite, you know, north as you look at the island of Ireland, as it were. And they were discovered a couple of months ago. Now, every time bones are discovered, obviously the police are called. And it's the police service of Northern <laughs> Ireland here that then did the carbon dating to find out. No, they weren't recent. In fact, they're as old as two and a half thousand years ago. They discovered a tibia and a fibula, a humerus and an ulna and a radius bone. So all relating to the lower left leg and right arm. Um, and said uh, they have also found more bones belonging to the same individual about five meters uh, south of the surface remains. Uh, the bones of a lower left arm and left femur were located protruding from the ground, and that's why it was so suspicious. But, of course, what this shows is how well peat can preserve things. 
Pete is incredible when it comes to, uh, of course, being used in gardens, uh, but also Pete is incredible as a, as a soil, as a compost, for actually managing to preserve things that are buried beneath it where there's no oxygen. And so a post-mortem was carried out by a certified forensic anthropologist. The individual was probably a male between 13 and 17 years old at the time of death. They're saying it's incredibly well preserved. Um, and uh, yes, further investigations on that site continuing. It's got archaeologists extremely excited. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Oh, I love stuff like that. Gavin, thank you very much indeed. We are uh, back with you, of course, next week for more of the same. Uh, have a wonderful week. Goodbye.